Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 58. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin that you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Bennon. How are you? I am good. Welcome home. Thank you. You have been gone. I haven't seen you in over two weeks. Yeah. That is yeah. crazy. You were it, on vacation. Yeah, I, hard. On vacation, hard. Yeah. No, we did the whole thing. Um, flew to LA. Very excited. Uh, yeah. Almost got killed by a homeless man. Uh, went to San Diego, stayed with my friend Greg, who I haven't seen and we figured it out like 14 years. No kidding. He was as cool as ever, if not cooler. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And he let us stay with him, which makes him even cooler. Ultra cool. Got to meet up with Pete in LA, which was awesome. And then uh, jumped on a cruise. Fantastic. Three days. In San Diego, you had. I had a crazy, weird semi celebrity experience. Yes. Tell us about that. So, in the Hotel Del Carnado, which, if you know of this place, you will know how cool it is, uh, walking through the basement with Jason and, and Greg. And as I'm walking, this guy is with a group of people and he's walking towards me. And I just finished saying something to Greg. And this guy stops and turns around and he goes, Excuse me, are you Ian Gibbs? And I look at him like, Are you going to serve me or something? Like, why? <laughs> so you've been served. Why do you want to know? And I'm like, Yes. And he goes, Um, I recognize your voice. I love your podcast. I was stunned. Like, I, I mean, if I had the presence of mind, I'd been like, "Whoa, what's your name?" Like, you know, and talk, but right. I, all I was, all I could think of to say was like, "Thanks." <laughs> well, I was stunned, well, and then he you. went on his way, and we went on ours. And for about five minutes afterwards, I'm like, "Did that just no?" What? No. <laughs> Did Brendan set that up? Like, I, it was just so out of context in a way. So I have to say, if you're the guy, tell me who you are like i, I want to know now i'm totally intrigued so um do send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com um because i actually will send you some stuff yes yes i will send you some stickers but you are gonna have to tell me oh i don't know how would i, how would I find out well i know what you look like there you go just send me a link to your facebook profile and I'll, I'll verify your identity <laughs> we'll figure something out <laughs> ian will be sharing the rest of his vacation on our water cooler episode, which is for patrons only. So if you want to be counted among their ranks, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. You get access to our monthly water cooler episodes. Uh, those are often almost as long as the main shows. <laughs> they are because we don't know when to shut up. Yes, this is a problem. <laughs> so again, you want to check that out, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And so before we get to haunted hospitals and haunted healthcare, mm -hmm. which I'm really looking forward Me to, because I've been marinating in these stories as I edit them for the last few days. Excellent. What happened to you in San Diego, which is amazing. Yeah. 
kind of is an interesting twin to my experience being back here because oh. as you were gone, um, I tried to, and we get quite a bit of email. We do. I thought it would be shitty of me yeah. to not do any of it. Well, that's how what they did at work for me for my emails. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you so for doing I, that. I started kind of going through the the letters and the yeah. messages, uh, but there were some folks who were pretty upset with me. Oh, and. I'm not going to get into it because I don't think their opinion is worthy of being aired on the show. But right. that and your experience made me realize, um, to a certain degree, you know, we are public figures now. Yeah, we have a wider reach than I think either of us realized. Yeah, yeah. and it's fascinating because f- I, for so long, I've been a very private person. Yeah. Even after the release of Strange Little Place, available everywhere, fine books are sold. <laughs> Never miss a chance. No, no, no. i got to sell that bitch. <laughs> Danny's got rent to pay. But... Um, even with the release of that, you know, I would do a show. The, the amount of correspondence I received right. would spike. Right. And then it would level off. Yeah. But with this, it's pretty steady. It's actually growing. And it's growing, which yeah. is wonderful. I, I, yeah. I'm thrilled. But yeah, it, it occurred to me fielding these these emails that, yeah, this I have to learn how to process right. negativity. Right. You know, because I'm, I mean, I'm used to doing it in a personal space because, yeah. you know, I don't care. And honestly, the people these things were coming at me for are deeply held beliefs of mine. So again, I, I truly don't care. Right. But it was processing the negativity that, yeah. that, that took and, some doing for me. And, and, and that's hard. And I mean, you're always going to run into people who believe that their way of thinking about things is the only way of thinking about things. Of course. And that's cool. Yep. That's great. And in the same way, you know, we don't have sponsors for this show. Uh, we don't really worry about what we say. We just are ourselves. Yeah. And, and if, if we say something flippant that is hurtful. Yeah, that's that's different, and we have been called on that, and, and I appreciate. And we that. have apologized for absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, but uh, anyways, I just thought it was interesting that we that had is these, these parallel experiences. Except I'm, mine was like super sunny and positive. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, as long as one of them was, that's it. <laughs> but I do have to say, when I got back and I was going through the emails, um, we had some amazingly kind ones in there too. Yes, we did. Like really, legitimately, all the feels. So you know, thank you to everybody for taking the time to uh, be in touch and, and let us know you're out there. It really is pretty great it really is yeah all right our musical guest on this episode is the brisbane australia artist montesquieu cool the song is called darkstone and you can find that on their bandcamp page at montesquieu that's m-o-n-t-e-s-q-u-e dot bandcamp.com and of course on all the major streaming platforms we're going to take a little break and then come back with tales from haunted hospitals Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're going to be talking about, well, it started as haunted hospitals. Yes. It, but it, it sort of expanded the scope as the guys found more stuff. And so it's sort of haunted hospitals plus haunted nurses plus haunted, holy shit, healthcare is full of these stories. <laughs> well, and probably um, haunted old people's homes. 
Oh, yes. Those yeah, are yeah, like yeah. bus stations. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, the guys, they found so much stuff that we probably could have done two and will in the future, two or three episodes. Really? There was so much material. I have to say, though, I have yet to be in a hospital that doesn't have something going on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's probably why there's such a plethora of stuff because it's crazy. I, there was actually something that happened in the uh, the hospital when I was there with my friend uh, last month. Yeah. I don't know. I think I told you about this. I don't think I mentioned it on the show. It's just the light. Yeah. Yeah. So Very cool. The, very briefly, how it, what happened was that uh, we got some great news uh, is that my, my friend had a not the worst kind yes. of the illness that That's was amazing. possible. It was very yeah. good news. Yeah. And when we, heard, a few minutes after we heard this news from the doctor, I experienced this rushing sensation. Right. And I saw sparkles wow. in the air sort of above my friend's bed. And I thought I was just sort of having some kind of panic reaction or you know, whatever. You yeah. Know, my body yeah. is stupid. It is a, a garbage wonderland. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it, but then uh, I left the room to call the fa- uh, my, my family to sort of update them on the situation. Right. And my friend's partner came back into the room as I was leaving. Now, bear in mind, he may still have been slightly sedated. Right. But she saw him and he appeared to be looking at something. And now bear in mind, I hadn't said anything to him. Right. So she saw him looking and she said, what are you looking at? And he said, sparkles. Oh, wow. He yeah. saw it too. He did. So Crazy. don't know what that signifies, mm, but I thought it was kind of interesting. That is cool. But moving on from our stories, we have a listener story to start us off. This one comes from Marie. It's two of the best things, Haunted Hospital and the listener story. Absolutely. This story comes to us from Marie. I'm a nurse, and I've worked in a couple different hospitals and several different units somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. As a nurse, of course, we get exposed to death quite a bit, but I don't consider myself overly sensitive. I am also not religious, but I'm open to the idea of energies and spirits. I've always been fascinated by ghost stories, but I don't think I attract energies or can really feel too much. That being said, I've had a few instances of things happening that I just can't explain, or feeling things that feels a little more real than just being paranoid. Story number one. My first job as a nurse was in an inpatient rehab center, which means patients too sick for home, but not sick enough for a real hospital. The unit was split in the middle, with about 25 rooms on each side, separated by a big wall and several sets of doors. When there aren't enough patients, they tended to group them all on just one side of the ward, leaving the other half eerily empty. Of course, as a new nurse, I worked nights, and of course, the side of the ward they closed just so happened to have all our staff mailboxes and equipment. So at some point, you have to go to that side. I don't remember what piece of mail, or maybe equipment, I was sent to go get, But whenever I had to go over there in the middle of the night, you bet I was fast walking and trying to pretend I was not scared, but totally freaking out past empty patient rooms with open doors. On one instance, there was a faucet running in one of the rooms I had to pass by. Now, in all new hospitals I've worked, the faucets don't have old-fashioned handles. They have sensors. This wasn't a newer hospital. The handle was turned on. No one had been there the entire night. So I just kept telling myself someone must have left it on during the daytime. At first I thought, like hell I'm going in there to turn it off, but I can't stand the idea of wasting water. So I run in, don't look anywhere or dawdle at all, and I turn it off. Again, later that night, I was sent for something else on the dark side, and it was on again. 
None of the other staff members had gone over there, and all denied it when I asked if they had gone and turned the faucet on. Story 2 After a few years of nursing, I got my dream job in an intensive care unit. Again, I was working nights, but the unit was quite smaller and we could all group together in the middle of the night without too many long dark hallways to get freaked out in. On one occasion, we had a really sweet patient with a terminal disease who was at peace with the fact that he would be gone soon, but not with the fact that he would have to die to be gone. This patient had a lot of anxiety around death and with breathing, and in hindsight, I think that maybe that's why his spirit wanted to stick around for a little while longer. The one highlight of this patient's day was physical therapy, or any time that we were going to use a patient lift. Most people hate these things, but this patient just loved to swing around and do whatever movements he could. He said he felt light in the lift. Eventually, after a couple of weeks, the patient passed. And as always, within a few hours, another patient was admitted to that room. At one point during the admission, we noticed the patient lift in the back corner of the room. It was swaying and spinning, like someone had just spun it forcefully. None of us had. Neither had it been touched by any of the equipment in the room. We all gave each other a look, gave the lift a look, acknowledging that we all knew who was moving it. Story 3. We all love talking in the middle of the night, freaking ourselves out about ghost stories. We actually have a notebook of ghost stories that have happened, and if anything freaky happens, we write it down. On this particular night, we were talking about voodoo for some reason. On the wall is a plaque with all of our names and certifications listed. It's a big, heavy thing, probably one and a half by two feet, with our name plates engraved in metal. It's held on the wall by a keyhole-type hanger and a big, fat screw. The patient in the room closest to this bracket was, in my opinion, already gone. That's actually one of the main reasons I left working in intensive care. We too often keep dead bodies alive just to appease family members who are not ready to say goodbye. Anyway, over the course of the night, two co-workers and I were hanging out telling ghost stories in this pod, the area outside the rooms where we can keep an eye on the patients but aren't disturbing them, when behind us we hear a loud thud. The certification plaque was about six feet down the hallway from the place where it hangs. We go to investigate. The screw is in place. The keyhole hanger is not loose. We replace the plaque back to where it should hang and try to accidentally get it to fall. There are no breezes in this area of the hospital, nor could a breeze knock this thing down. There were no other staff in that area at that time, as we would have heard them enter. And also, why would they throw something and cause such a disturbance on purpose? We determined that truly the only way it could have gotten as far as it did was if it had been lifted and thrown off the wall. Who knows if this is what happened, but we all decided maybe we should move away from the dying patient's room and stop talking about ghost stories for the night. I have many other stories that are maybe explainable, but also so coincidental that I do keep my mind open to the possibility that it could be spirits. Also, when all other co-workers corroborate, it's easier to think maybe it is spirits. For instance, room 13 gives all of us the heebie-jeebies. It's down the only dark hallway portion of the unit. Oftentimes with our call system, call bells, a beeping noise, would come from unoccupied rooms. We would just cancel them from the outside so as not have to go inside the rooms. Another nurse has a story of hearing a voice come from the call system in an unoccupied room. A portion of the unit was used to overlap with pediatrics, and an old supervisor of mine swears he heard and saw children in that area at night until the area was blessed. It's common knowledge to all of us that if we ever have any issue that needs some cleansing, the chaplain staff are more than willing to come and pray over the area, which has been known to take care of the feelings, sightings, and issues. All told, though, 
one of the coolest things I experienced from my job was to see how much capacity we have for love and for respect and how beautiful for a dying patient and accommodating all kinds of things for them, special trays of food, all that sort of thing. My old supervisor never let anyone die alone. It didn't happen often, but sometimes families just couldn't be around anymore for the passing of their loved one. In that instance, in the patient's final hours, we would keep their cardiac monitoring on, which usually we take off so the death is more natural for the families, and keep an eye on the monitor while we continued to tend other patients. When the heart rate started going down, going terminal, at least one of us would rush to the bedside and hold that patient's hand so they didn't have to pass alone. It actually makes me tear up just typing this and remembering this. Long-time nurses would talk about in the old days, you'd open a window to let the soul pass. Our windows don't open anymore, probably liability for people who would try to jump. But I thought that being there for the soul's departure was another good idea to help that soul leave. If you'd like to hear more stories, I'll have to go back and read our ghost story book. There's so many good ones. That is great. Thank you so much, Marie. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I think it's pretty great that they have people who are willing to be there for someone when they pass. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I've only seen maybe, you know, two people die. Right. But, you know, just being able to have someone there as I finished murdering them. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you really see, I, my mom is a nurse. Right. So these stories are resonating. And my dad was in a hospice 20 years ago when he died. And um, I have another good friend who is a hospice nurse and has been for 30 years. Oh, well. And um, there is a vocation to this. There is a calling oh, yeah. to this kind of thing. And I just have so much respect. And I have been at a couple bedsides where people have died. And you... It sounds weird, but you feel the privilege of that, that, you know, you got to be there when someone departed. Um, We make such a big deal about arrivals in our, in our culture. We don't make as big a deal about departures. Do you know what I mean? We don't honor it the same way. And I think if we did, it would probably make us a lot healthier emotionally. Um, And I also think that it would probably be a lot easier for that person to go knowing that they were going to be acknowledged. Yeah the right way. So I, I just think that's incredible. And the fact that, you know, there was a supervisor there who made it a point yeah. to be there when someone actually passed. Wow. That's a calling. It really is. Yeah. It's yeah, not no, just absolutely. a job. The, the, what you said about recognizing death reminded me, there's a book called After Death by mm. Daryl, I think Daryl Reaney. And he himself, I, I believe he was dying or discovered he was dying partway through writing it. Right. But he examines our relationship with death. And one of the things he said is that, yeah, we have relegated death to the far corners and consequently it's become a boogeyman. I always called it Tupperware death. Tupperware death? Yeah. When someone dies, like when, when a baby's born, the parents are involved. They right. want, you know, they hand the baby to the mother. They you know, dirty and gross and for the bonding and all this sorts of thing. We have parties before right. the baby comes and give presents and we get a room ready and we, we do all these things. Right. But when someone dies, most times in our modern society, it's Tupperware. We hand it off to someone else to deal with. And the next time we see that person, they're in a box and they're just sort of ready to go. Right. And we have had no part in that. Well, I've got a great big party planned for when you die, <laughs> probably for different reasons. 
<laughs> but you know what I mean. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, and in the old days, I mean, I get why they would sit Shiva and, and they would, or they would have a wake or they would, yeah. and you spend time with that person and you kind of work through all the stuff you may have had with that person, good and bad. Well, I was recently told about this. Someone I know had someone who basically structured their own death. Wow. They, they were, they knew they were terminal. Yeah. And so they sort of arranged their final days in such a way that they could see people and they could make arrangements and they could have those connections and say goodbye, which Amazing. is something that is, you know, so often uh, denied to us Yes, when we lose someone. Well, yeah. And like I say, life is simply arrivals and departures. Yeah. And yet we don't honor the departure. Not in the same way. Not in a human way. Yeah. We have ceremony around it. We don't have a human way of dealing with it. Yeah. It's really interesting to me. It absolutely fascinates me. Well, I'll make sure it's a good party. <laughs> you Sir can Black look at us from yeah. Sir, Sir Black Force Cake. That's right. I gotta I gotta have like you in a like a glass coffin, like like was it is it Lennon? Yes. With and, the cake on top. Yeah. I yeah, love it'll it. Be served, yeah. Ideal. Yeah. Couldn't ask for anything better. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The Angel of Death, which is a great Slayer song. It, yeah, okay. As a longtime intensive care nurse, I have a lot of paranormal work stories. Sheets being ripped apart, old women in rocking chairs who shouldn't be there. But over time, you become desensitized to them, hard though that may be to believe. There is one story, though, that still bothers me to this day, and that was the time I saw the Grim Reaper. It happened in the summer of 1999 when I was in charge of a busy 12-bed unit. It was late in the day. Outside, the light was starting to fade, so it must have been early evening. There were a few people milling around, but not as many as there can be during the daytime, so when a lone man pushed open both double doors and entered the unit, I noticed. His clothes were the thing I noticed first. He looked like he had been plucked right out of 1974 and dropped into 1999. He was wearing brown cord flares, the platform shoes men wore back then, an orange, yellow, and brown check shirt with a cream and brown Prater tank top over the shirt. He was white with shortish brown hair, that part was not quite 1970s, and maybe around 30 years old. He acted completely calm, like he did this all the time, and walked towards a bay of patients. I didn't recognize him, and knew he wasn't a relative of anyone on the floor or staff, so I said, hello, can I help you? He looked at me directly, nodded as if to say hello, and carried on walking. I watched him, and he stopped at the end of a patient's bed and turned to look at them. He never touched the person or did anything other than look. And then this unwell but stable patient suddenly and unexpectedly deteriorated. As the staff went to assist, they all acted like they didn't see him. He turned around and as calmly as he came in, he left. I never saw what direction he went as I left the nurse's station to go help with a patient who ultimately, despite our best efforts, died. I spoke to some of the staff later on about our 1970s visitor and no one else saw him. 17 years later, it is vivid in my mind. Wow. That is bizarre. I love the fact that death is like not very well caught up on the latest fashions. Or that he just really <laughs> likes the way the 70s look. But how great would it Death be if would. he just sort of, uh, uh, what's that, the electric slide? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or did the hustle? Just did the hustle all the way into the ward? Sick death, the hounds of hell on this guy, and then 
<laughs> he goes home to his avocado green kitchen. Yeah, with his uh, <laughs> like six inch high shag carpet that he has to rake. <laughs> I'm pretty sure death has people for that. Maybe. Maybe. You know, someone told me that uh, hot yoga started in rooms that had shag carpet. And that Ew. just, yeah, that was, that was my, my I reaction. To, I used well. to walk past a hot yoga place when it first came out, like 10 years ago. Right. Um, I guess a bit longer than that, but well, yeah. for Victoria, <laughs> of course. um, and they would pump, they had a vent right, right over the sidewalk. So they would like pump. Oh, it was the a, smell. I cannot imagine. Ew. People are gross. Well, now imagine that plus a shag carpet. <clears throat> yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. Even death would not visit. <laughs> you are safe from death safe in hot from yoga. Death in hot yoga. This next story is called Anna. For a brief time, my mother worked as a certified nursing assistant at a large nursing home in central Iowa. The floor she worked on was where residents needed assistance, more in lines with hospital care, the extremely aged and physically dependent. In other words, the ones on their way out, but not by the front doors. She worked the night shift. The ward was designed in an exploding star pattern. There was a central nurse station and communal activity area, and hallways extended outward in all directions leading to dead ends. These were lined with patient rooms. Mum said she favored the night shift as it was quieter, there weren't visitors or adjunct staff to deal with, she could do her rounds and focus solely on her patient care. Most slept through the night from either exhaustion, illness, or medication, so hourly checks and charting were all that were necessary in those cases. Some didn't sleep as well. But save the occasional diaper change or toileting call, things were pretty quiet. Now, of all the people in my life, the only one I can honestly say compares to me in, a, in any amount of cynical skepticism is my mother. She's educated, brilliant, and nobody's fool. And when given a story, she does not blindly take someone at their word. She looks for holes and uses her sense of logic and reasoning to assess the truthfulness, based in part on the credibility of the speaker. So she's not the type to be taken with flights of fancy or to give in to her imagination. She's also a night owl, as am I, and darkness does not rattle her in the way it seems to bring out hidden fears in so many. There was a resident centurion on the ward by the name of Anna. She was 101, 102, I forget. Anna was sometimes lucid, but increasingly not, often staring into space and non-communicative. Other times, like this particular night, she was very verbal, crying out variations on Mama. This isn't unusual for the very elderly when they're nearing death. My mother would come to the room, comfort her with a pat to her hand, smooth her hair, and gently shush her, speaking words of comfort in low tones until Anna would settle down and drift back to some level of sleep. As she exited the room the third or fourth time, turning her body to her left towards the nurse station, my mother heard a voice coming from behind her right shoulder, clear as day. Anna? It was a woman's voice, mature in age, but not elderly. Mum whipped her head around, nothing, an empty hallway. She peeked back into Anna's room where she was still sleeping peacefully. Quickly walking to the station, she looked down the hallways, and located the other CNA on duty who was busy folding laundry in a different hallway. My mother isn't easily shaken, but she was now uneasy. It wasn't a whisper or indiscernible murmur after all. It was a clear articulation, but she waved it off and went about her business. But a minute or two later, a monitor went off. Anna had passed away. There are a few stories like that where right in the last moments, voices are heard or some, in one case, something is seen. Right. And uh, the person then passes on. Yeah. 
I, I know when my dad was dying, um, he saw some very tall and well-dressed men waiting for him. Interesting. Yeah, and he was asking his girlfriend at the time uh, if she would get them chairs because he felt bad that they were standing there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is probably a stupid question. Have you seen the movie The Adjustment Bureau? No. Okay, never mind. <laughs> it's been a while since we played the game of have you seen this movie? No. I saw some movies on the boat. Sweet. Well, we'll talk about that in the okay. water cooler episode. Aquaman, pretty good. Yeah, it does. I liked the second half of Aquaman. I yes. thought it got crazy and fun. Yes. The first half Agreed. takes a thousand years, but that's water yeah. cooler stuff. There you go. Demidian. Sorry. You're giving it away I'm, for free. I know. <laughs> that's what I always get told. Let's hope that's all I ever learned about that. <laughs> kind of caught that at the last minute. I know. <laughs> the skeptic. At the risk of sounding boring, I'm a bit of a skeptic, so I believe it's possible the things I'm about to tell you have a completely rational explanation and are not at all paranormal. For a few years, I was a patient care tech at a mid-sized American hospital, working on a floor where many of our patients had just come out of surgery and were still on some kind of painkiller or under sedation. In the last two rooms on one side of the hall, there were a lot of people who hallucinated children. Now, hallucination was natural considering they just got out of surgery. That happened in every room on the hall at one time or another. One lady even hallucinated I was an angel while doing her vitals, so it's not unusual. What was queer about these last two rooms were the patients always reported seeing children either in the room or outside the window. One time, two ladies who were fresh from surgery were put in that last room together and buzzed the front desk telling us there was someone in the room. When I got down to the room, both women were telling me that a child ran under one of their beds. Again, they were just out of surgery, and if one had hallucinated the child first and told the other patient that she saw it, it could have triggered a suggestive hallucination where the other patient thought she saw one too. What makes it even stranger is that my husband grew up a few blocks from the hospital, and when we first started dating, over dinner one night, I mentioned how many of our patients hallucinated children in those last two rooms. He said, oh really? Then proceeded to tell me that when he was a kid, there was a children's orphanage that stood close to where the hospital stood, and that he and his brother would go and play with the kids in the field that used to be where the back hospital grounds are now, that those two back rooms faced. Another time, I was on a different hall than usual because they were down to tech. It was in long-term care. I was filling pitchers with ice water in the hall near the nurse's station when I saw an older man in a hospital gown standing in the hall about midway down. He was looking straight into the room he was standing in front of. It wasn't out of the ordinary for the patients in long-term care to be walking around by themselves, but I thought I would go check with one of the nurses to be sure. When I told her, she came out to the hall to look and see who it was, but he wasn't there anymore. She asked me where I saw him standing. I told her. And she said it was likely Mr. Mike, and that he had passed away a few days ago in the room he'd been standing outside of. She also told me a few of the techs and nurses had reported seeing him as well. She went on to say it happened pretty often after someone died in long-term care. She believed they were just hanging out, and after a day or so, they would move on. Wow. Again, there's just that sense of, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the ghost. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Move on. Well, and I wonder, like, you often hear about places that used to be hospitals and are now something else. Yep. I really, really would love to go inside the uh, former St. Joseph's Hospital. Uh, where's that? It's across from um, St. Anne's Academy. Oh, that's the apartment building I've yes. talked about. Right. Yes. Yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah. to know if anybody is experiencing anything in there. And I would be shocked if they hadn't. Well, I know, but I've never heard anything. Interesting. And the other place, of course, the Young Building, in my book, Victoria's Most Haunted, 
available Boom. everywhere. And uh, and that used to that was an army hospital for a while. Okay. Um, it was a college, then an army hospital, right? And then reverted back to a college. So, huh. and they've had lots of weird stuff going on. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I know when I worked up at VITP, uh, which is uh, the tech park here. I, I was told that that used to be Glen Lodge, I think. Oh, okay. It was an old folks home uh, or, or it was a hospital, then an old folks home or something like that. People died there. Right. Uh, but I, I never got a chance. This was sort of before I had any interest in this stuff. So I never got a chance to ask anyone if they'd right. had any. Uh, but I will say. It's a creepy place. Oh, it is. And yeah. I, I will say when I'm out driving at night, yeah. I'm perpetually drawn up there. So I assume there's something. Yeah. Going on, I agree because it's, it's a, that seems to be a commonality of the places I end up. I hear you. Is later I find out. Oh yeah, no, that's that's haunted as hell. Oh yeah, oh, completely. Okay. <laughs> Next story is called footsteps. My career in hospital labs here in the UK has spanned thirty years with a lot of on-call and night work. The lab at the old Hope Hospital Salford had once been a ward. In the night and early hours of the morning, it was common to hear footsteps approaching from behind you as you were working. Often, this was somebody coming into the lab with a sample. But just as often, there was nobody there. Most of us assumed the sound was coming from staff moving around in the geriatric ward on the floor above, but some of the staff were bothered by this. One person especially was talking to a nurse, who brought a sample and then said, I don't know how you can work here alone when so many people have died here. He'd never thought of this, and was so disturbed by the thought that he considered giving up on-call work. However, like most of us, he had a young family and needed the extra money. Eventually, the ward above was refurbished, and the phantom footsteps stopped. Next story is called Calling. Logically speaking, if such a thing as a ghost exists, then I suppose hospitals would be a good place to find them. Most of the stories from the hospital where I work revolve around the auditorium and basement, where, of course, the morgue is located. I haven't had anything happen in either of those places, but I have experienced something. The first two times it happened, I chalked it up to either being tired or the security team messing with me, but then it kept happening. Since then, I've had to come to terms with the idea that I may never fully understand what's going on. Basically, I'll be doing my job or just walking along a hallway, always empty, and someone will call my first name. Usually, it's at a regular speaking volume, nothing stereotypically ghostly, but I always get an irrational adrenaline burst and my breathing picks up, which is how I started associating this as something abnormal. Once I was alone in a waiting room, and I remember being exceptionally sleepy, just sitting watching some random infomercial on TV and drowsing off a bit, when suddenly I heard someone very clearly speak my name immediately to the right of me. I was leaning on my left hand, so I was slightly turned away from the right, and I call immediately snapping awake and looking around. All the lights were on, TV playing, no one there. I repeat, it never feels creepy or bad, just weird. One other time that stands out was when I was walking along an older hallway, which is part of the original hospital structure before they built the new wing. It has old uniforms hanging in frames along the wall as part of the decor. We use a green lighting policy during night shift, so lights only turn on directly above you and in front of you and turn off as you move, so it's a bit creepy when you're alone. I remember I was writing something in my clipboard, so I was distracted. Someone had called my name, and I'd responded something like, yeah, what's up? And after a few seconds with no response, I turned around to check in with whoever needed me. Obviously, the hallway was empty, and all the lights behind me were off. Yeah. There was a movie like that. I think it was called The Exorcism of Something or Other, about a woman's corpse who's brought to a morgue, and a woman who was a police officer had a really traumatic experience, and now she's just taken a job as a morgue attendant. Oh, interesting. And things start happening. But oh. what triggered the memory for me was that... Is that autopsy of the... 
autopsy of Jane Doe? Mm, no, it's definitely like the exorcism okay. something. And in the movie, as she's walking around this morgue, which of course is all cement. Of course. Um, that's what the lights do. Oh. They only come on if there's movement, which starts to play into the... It's of course. brilliant. It was actually a really good movie, but uh, pretty much the entire thing takes place in this one room. There's a movie called Night Watch. Mm. Uh, it was, I think, originally a... Uh, I want to say a Danish film or a Dutch okay, film. Okay. And then it was remade in the U.S. Uh, starring Ewan McGregor. Right. Uh, but uh, it's 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 about a guy who works, I think, the night shift in a morgue. Oh. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. Actually, both versions aren't bad. Cool. Um, but something this reminded me of actually is uh, when I was in Germany a long time ago, I was I, I I was I had a night in Frankfurt before I had to catch a flight out of Germany. Right. And now I was staying at Frankfurt, or pardon me, I was flying out of Frankfurt Hahn Airport, which they don't tell you is nowhere near Frankfurt. It is, <laughs> it is Frankfurt in name only. Right. And so I was very young and very dumb, so I just booked a cheap place on Expedia. Right. Well, I didn't realize it was in the red light district. <laughs> so I, I won't... Is I, that the story you told your mom? <laughs> this I was had a no idea. terrifying red light district. Yeah. I was genuinely afraid to leave the, uh, uh, afraid to leave the, uh, the hotel, but um, I remember it had this green lighting. So you would go into the hallway and it, sometimes it would take a second yeah. for it to click yeah. on. And I remember going down the stairs and because I didn't want to be boxed into the elevator Yeah. and you'd walk down a couple stairs and the light would slowly flicker to life and nothing paranormal happened, no. but I did come around a corner, the light flickered on and there was a mysterious dried red patch on the ground. <laughs> I thought, nope. So I went and bought a couple, couple cases of beer, went back to my room and that was it for the night. That's how you dealt with that. Yep. Your life being in peril, you decided, I know the smartest, most logical thing to do would be get hammered. Yes. I locked the door <laughs> I uh, and I constructed an elaborate, um, what do you call it, uh, burglar alarm. Of course. Using empty beer bottles. Naturally. Placed in front of the door. Naturally. It was quite clever. Wow. Yeah. You have grown. I have. You have. I'm proud of you. Now I stay in better places. <laughs> Not really, actually. <laughs> yeah, okay. Valid point. Valid, valid point. The Runaway. A long time ago, I worked in a state institute for the developmentally disabled. During a renovation of the facility, we were temporarily relocated to another building, and that's when things got weird. One night, I was working second shift in a locked unit when I saw one of the residents, Terry, walking down the hall. He had a distinct gait and was wearing a t-shirt for which he was well known on the ward. It was yellow and had a smiley face on it. This was a serious situation because Terry was also known for eating anything he could get his hands on, from clothing to pens to belts to, ugh, a bird's head. He was also difficult to get back home, so I went into his home ward to let the staff know he was loose and that I would need help bringing him back. When we got back into the hall, less than 15 seconds later, Terry was gone. We searched the entire building, upstairs, downstairs, everywhere. He was nowhere to be found. We mobilized so much staff that the whole search took only 10 minutes, and afterward I was just about to call the head supervisor to let her know we'd lost someone when, from out of the bathroom, walks Terry with one of the staff. He had been in there getting his bath for the last 30-40 minutes. Now I absolutely without a doubt saw Terry in the hallway. Distinctive gait, clothing, look, all of it. I never would have short-staffed the wards like I did if I hadn't seen him. Regardless, I took a lot of razzing that night. They all thought I was crazy. Then, the next day, it comes out that Larry had an identical twin brother who died in that building 10 years before. So, maybe I'm not crazy after all. Yikes. I will say, how the hell did they search the entire building and not find him in the friggin' bathroom? Um, I, yeah, that's creepy. You are bad at your job. Well, that or they're just bad at searching for people. 
Yeah, that, that's not cool. Because if you missed someone in the bathroom, I mean, were they, have, <laughs> were they just wandering around? Look, this is man looking to the extreme. I do know of a story where uh, someone OD'd in a restaurant bathroom and no one found him for 11 days. I'm sorry? Yeah. 11 days? 11 days. How? <laughs> I must know more. Uh, well, oh, you can't tell me more. Okay, fair. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I found the name of that movie. What is it? It was The Possession of Hannah Grace. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember you talking about yeah, that. Yeah, it was good. Okay, I'll check it out. It freaked me out. The Possession. And I'll say it right up front, I'm not 100% about this one, but we'll judge okay. it on its own merits. I am very skeptical about possessions. I don't think they happen nearly as often as people say. They I do. agree. Yeah. The Possession. My creepiest and scariest ghost story happened about a year ago. I was helping another nurse with a patient who had lived a hard life and consequently had numerous things going on with him, from cardiac failure to renal failure. You name it, he had it. This man was very much afraid to die. Now, when I say that, I know everyone is afraid of dying to some degree, but this man was a special case. Every time his heart monitor beeped, he would fly into a rage, screaming, Don't let me die. Don't let me die. Eventually, the other nurse and I found out why he didn't want to die. At about 0200 hours, his cardiac monitor started alarming VTAC, ventricular tachycardia. It's, it's bad. And we both rushed into his room, pulling the crash cart behind us. The other nurse was ahead of me, and when I got to the room, she was completely white. The man was sitting about two inches above his bed, laughing. His whole look had completely changed. His eyes were cruel, and the smile on his face was, well, it was evil. He laughed at us and said, you stupid bitches aren't going to let me die, are you? Then he laughed again. We were kind of frozen. I finally did reach up and hit the code blue button, and when I did, the man crashed back onto his bed and went into V-fib, ventricular fibrillation. It's much worse. We started coding him, but after 20 minutes, it was called. Five minutes after the code was called, several of the code team were still in the room cleaning up when this man sits straight up in the bed and says, you let him die. Too bad. And then starts laughing. The man collapsed back to the bed. We heard a horrible, agonizing scream that every patient in the unit later commented on. And then you could hear, don't let me die, being whispered throughout the unit. Every one of the nurses that night was pale and scared, and nobody went anywhere by themselves. By morning, the whispers of, don't let me die, were gone. The night shift nurses had a prayer service in the break room before we left for home, and then we all had nightmares for weeks. I was a charge nurse. I was supposed to be putting a brave front on for the less experienced nurses, but even I'm still freaked out by what happened that night. I quit working at that hospital not long after, but before I left, started to notice changes throughout the unit. There were strange sounds. People's personalities were changing. I watched some of the quietest, shy nurses become very sexual or verbally abusive. We had one nurse who was a very devoted Christian woman. I never heard her say a bad word about anyone or even curse. She always smiled and was very polite. After that night, she would let out a string of curse words and obscenities I have never heard before. She had that same cruel look in her eyes that patient did that night. That hospital needed a priest. Uh, okay. That's it. It's so extreme. It's so intense. It's so movie-like. And quite honestly, if there was a devout Christian woman, and she really was, that is the last thing a demon would go after. Right. Why, would, why do you think so? Because it presumably, if she's a very devoted Christian woman, as it said, she's already wise to this stuff. It's not even going to bother trying to go after her because it knows she's already on the other side. What they look for, and this is just from my own right. reading and experience, is people who are broken 
and right. um, feeling weakened, right. um, either with grief or extreme sadness or depression or, or whatever. Just someone whose resources emotionally and spiritually are low ebb. Right. It's never gonna go after someone who's like, praise the Lord and pass me a communion wine. Like, it's just not. Well, I mean, even even the devout suffer with depression. So, I mean, it's entirely possible. Oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> I mean, there's I, just I, so much in this story that makes me go, really? Yeah, that's it. Really? I mean, you know, it, some of it rings true. I mean, yes. I know Mario Becerra in Haunted East Los Angeles. He's got that story about the something yeah uh after the rearrest of richard ramirez yes, yes. something stayed behind to be- infest the house where he was arrested yeah, in front I, of i believe that and it caused personality changes yeah. and, and certainly um you know when i when i was touched by shadow people it caused a personality change i get that so i don't think it's Im- certain things ring true but the floating above the bed and the whispers through the yeah yeah great story i just don't know that i believe story, it. but yeah i don't know that it's really 100 percent no shame shame the technician I'm a technician who specializes in the advanced stuff you find in hospitals at one facility I was part of a two man team responsible for Linax linear accelerators radiation therapy units oh you know as you do most of the hospital was a little grim even for a hospital but the cancer center was like a tomb it comes with the territory that if you work on the high-end stuff, you will work some odd hours. Late nights and weekends are the norm. So I was completely alone. Being alone, you always find yourself feeling like something or someone was nearby, even if it was just you and the machines, but you get on with it. Then one night, I was working on replacing a fitting in the gas system, and I could hear the unmistakable sound of an infusion pump giving a KVO alarm from the closet. That's the sound that the pump makes once it completes a drug treatment. Remember, this was on a weekend, with no patient or nurse in sight, on a device that is stored and turned off in a completely empty cancer treatment center, and it had just gone off. I chose to hurry up and get the hell out of Dodge after connecting the new bottle. On another occasion, I was working on the same system when the door to the vault closed. Before you say that it isn't a big deal, these doors are about 8 inches thick and motorized. And when the machine started to actually move, like it was starting a treatment, while I had it in service mode, this doesn't make it impossible, just extremely unlikely that it was just a simple malfunction, since in that mode you have to individually command each motion. Luckily, it didn't try to start the beam, and I got out before it went much further. I don't do Linux anymore, at least not alone. So next up, we have a series of shorts, and this is actually from something the guys found, which was like a, a, a nurse's forum. Oh, cool. Where someone asked, you know, what is your experience with weird stuff in a hospital? Yeah. So the reason it's, um, we're sort of calling it shorts is it's, it's literally, some of them are just a few sentences. So I thought we would, uh, we would alternate. Sounds good. With these. So you go ahead. I work in a long-term care facility where we've had numerous patients reporting they've seen a little boy who will come in their rooms, turn their call lights on, on and off, and throw things on the floor. This facility used to be an orphanage. Also, there are stories of a nurse in an old-fashioned white dress and hat who would be seen going down the hall late at night doing her bed check. If someone was particularly sick or about to die, she would go into their room and stay for a few minutes. A while back, one of the aides saw her and refused to go down that hallway for a week. From what we've been able to gather from old pictures of the property that our nursing home is built on, There used to be a mobile home park at one end of the building and a cemetery at the other. 
That is some prime real estate. <laughs> we have seen a white figure in the medicine room, and sometimes the carts are moved down the hall while you are in a room giving meds. One of the male CNAs, certified nursing assistants, reported seeing several times a very tall black figure going from room to room. We've all seen balls of light floating around. Everyone has seen a little boy walking around, but the freakiest part was when they saw, in the hall, wet children's footprints that ended in an exterior wall. We've also seen footprints in the snow that come right up to that same place. Huh. Sounds like there used to be a doorway of some kind there. Yeah, no kidding. My friend works on the fifth floor neuro unit in our hospital. A little while ago, they were sitting at the desk, and a guy in white nursing garb came through the double doors and walked into an empty room. When he didn't come out, my friend got suspicious, and so went in the room to check on him and found it was completely empty. They then went to the double doors at the entrance to the ward and talked to the two respiratory techs who'd been standing by the door the whole time. They swore nobody had come through. When one of their co-workers came back from lunch, they were told, Oh, that's so-and-so. He worked here as an LVN years ago and was accused of molesting a child. He was sure he was about to be arrested, so he killed himself. We see him all the time. Sheesh. We had a patient with congestive heart failure who was always on the call button. They hated being on fluid restrictions and just about everything else. You know the type. The nurses have to take turns during the shift answering the call button so the primary can actually do other work. This man was a frequent flyer because he was very borderline, and the hospital was the only place he wouldn't fluid overload. He died about an hour into my shift at 8 p.m., and the look on his face was very much, how could you let me die? Like it was somehow our fault. The family came and left by 9 p.m., and the funeral home was finished by 9.30. At about 10 p.m., the call button in that room started going off every five minutes. At about 2 a.m., after four hours of this, the other nurse on shift with me, Jen, snapped. She walked down the hall and practically screamed into the empty room, Mr. X, you have died. You can't be in here bothering us anymore. Move along. Go to the light and be happy. And I kid you not, the call button stopped going off then and there. Nurses are made of sterner stuff. I tell you, man. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, though, that... I, that maybe not interesting is the right word, but... There's a... I, I, I can't even pin the feeling down, but it's a curious feeling in my, that I get when I think that the most important moment in this man's life, apart from his birth, right. his death, right. happened. And by 10 o'clock, the room's cleaned up. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's no. just a way of things. I know. But it's, it just, it's just done. Yeah. By 9.30, the funeral home's taken you away within the span of three episodes of Everyone Loves Raymond. <laughs> you are... I had that same sort of death perspective when I took a group of students to Toronto. I was living in Winnipeg at the time. Right. And we were volunteering at a big Toronto mission. Okay. And one of our jobs that week was to sort through donations. And we got a large Rubbermaid cart come in, very big, full of stuff. Right. And as we started to go through it, the kids realized this had all come from one person's apartment. Oh, okay. And it was obviously a man. His wife had died earlier. Right. And we stopped when we got to like his personal framed things because one of them was a law degree. Wow. And we said to the supervisor, what do we do with this? And the supervisor said, we throw it out. Yeah. It's of no use to anybody. And that was a huge, we all just stopped and looked at each other like, wow. Yeah. When, when, when you're done, you're done. Everything goes with you. It doesn't matter. And it was a little heartbreaking 
because n- obviously a, a building superintendent had just cleared this guy's place out. Yeah. No one had come. Yep. There was no children to come and take things away. And um, we were literally going through this man's last things on earth and sadly throwing most of them away. Yeah. It was, woof. So I get that. I get what you're saying. Like within that two hour span, that's it. Yeah. The world just, I mean, moves yeah, on. It moves on. Moves on. I, that reminds me of the time when I was volunteering in a charity shop in England. It was back after, uh, before we got married and I, I couldn't work, uh, because of the visa I right, had. Yeah. And the economy was so shit you couldn't get under the table. Yeah. So I was just volunteering in a charity shop. But I remember in the back room, there was this cardboard box, medium size full of matchbooks from around the world. Hmm. Uh, some of them actually from around Revelstoke. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and just from all these hotels and yeah. gas stations. And they were clearly, some of them, 40 years old. Right. And obviously, whoever had dropped these off, they were part of someone's estate. Right. And he had obviously collected matchbooks every time him and his wife went somewhere. And there they were sitting on the back shelf in the charity shop. And no one knew what to do with them. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately you can't think about that. Like no. you, you can't let that stop you from doing things. No. But it, I think it is good to maintain perspective. Absolutely. It's a good way to kind of, because when we go somewhere, we always buy a magnet. Right. You know, and, and as long as I think you can accept that these are transitory pleasures. These right. are for you. Right. These are not. Well, I'm for Nathaniel and Kiki one day. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Speaking of things dying. Below the belt. That's never going to die. I hate you with the fire of a thousand suns. Still worth it. The look of pure, unadulterated glee <laughs> on your face is nauseating. It's so I've never fantastic. seen you this happy. No. It just keeps growing and growing. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. But they will really love those magnets one day. I'm going to put all those <laughs> magnets into a sock and hit you with them. <laughs> We're going to take a break while Ian collects himself. Still going. I'm good. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll take a sip of tea. Okay, I'm good. Okay. But that was awesome. Come on. Shut up. <laughs> Continue. All the night shift nurses in the nine-bed critical care unit where I work are convinced it's haunted. I've seen figures standing in doorways late at night. Blinds will go up by themselves, and the call bells in unoccupied rooms will go off on their own. Recently, we admitted a patient into room nine, and after we'd gotten her into bed, she asked what was on the wall directly in front of her. It was blood. Bright red blood running down the wall. We all checked ourselves. None of us were injured, but still there was blood. Well, a week before this, a young lady suffering from severe abdominal pain had died in that room. She was having an upper endoscopy. Something got perforated, and she died after projectile vomiting blood on that wall and floor. The nurses on call at that time said it looked like a slaughterhouse. The whole place was clean top to bottom, but somehow that blood just turned out. Now that one, I was thinking you could write that off. I mean, maybe it's somehow soaked into the paint or the, and just sweat back out. I know someone who's a cleaner in a hospital. I should ask them. I didn't have a chance before we aired. But they use pretty hardcore oil-based, waterproof, highly washable paint. Yeah, that's a good point. So I don't think anything's soaking into that wall. And weird that it would still be red. Red and running down the wall. Very unusual. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, no. And a week? No. Yeah. 
No, it's not going to be liquid. The stone. walls are officially bleeding. It's the... time to just burn the place down. <laughs> we'll start again. Somewhere far, far away. Yep. Last night, a patient was being transferred from the ER to the floor and passed away in the hall before she could get there. According to the tech, they were carrying on a conversation when the lady looked up and said, Oh, here comes God. I think I will go with him. She died immediately after. I hope God was riding a motorbike. (laughs) Let's get out of here. I knew a lady in her 90s who uh, had gone to Vancouver to look after her daughter's house. Uh, She was from Winnipeg. And she was on the bus. And she turned to the person next to her and she said, Oh, I do not feel right. Boom. Oh, my God. But you know what? I knew her really well. And I knew that is exactly the way she'd want to go. (laughs) Mid-stride. Mid-stride. On the bus, going somewhere. She's off to do something gone that's how i want to go yeah no i was i was happy for her i mean i was sad she's a really cool lady but um i was also like yeah she got what she wanted that's a pretty metal death pretty pretty awesome we had a resident that had been hollering staff members names and banging on the wall instead of using her call light the night she passed away after helping clean up her corpse ew i went to empty the soiled linen cart and as i did i heard her scream my name I ran out of the soiled linen room and refused to go back there alone. Oh, man. Yeah, that's not cool. The screaming the name thing, that I don't know why, but that hits a deep chord in me. Yeah, I had that in my ear when that, whatever it was, yeah, down yeah. the alleyway went in. Yeah, no. I, yeah, no, I don't know why, but that really just, that, that's, yeah. that's a, a, a button. I totally get that. Maybe 30 years back, I was assisting the night nurse in a long-term care facility with vital signs. While on our way to a room, I saw something white floating down the hall. I told her what I'd seen, and she thought it may have been a resident walking. Now, about the area where I had seen this, we had a linen cart covered with white, and I assumed maybe that is really what I'd seen. The next room we went into was also right near the spot, and as I was putting the cuff on the patient, the nurse said not to bother because they had passed. The nurse said to me, they're dead, and I believe you saw her soul leaving. I didn't last at that job. We had a long-term care resident, I'll call her Cindy, who was totally independent. She did all her day-to-day stuff by herself, and she did fine. Never had an incident. The only time she wanted help was showers, and even then, she only wanted you around to make sure she didn't slip and fall. She eventually came down with pneumonia and was too weak to do things on her own. So the last thing her CNA told Cindy before she went to bed was, if you need anything, hit your call light and we'll come right away. Well, Cindy was too stubborn to call for help, and she fell as she tried to climb out of bed in her frail condition, and that fall killed her. This all happened pretty recently, and we still haven't put anyone in her old bed. The following week, the call light for that room went off at night. Thinking it was the resident in bed B, I walked down to see what she wanted, and when I got there, the call light that was on was from Cindy's bed. My eyes filled up with tears, I backed out of the room, and made someone else turn the call light off. A new hire recently asked us not to laugh at her, but she had something to say. She said that she had just left a patient's room and seen a black figure going down the hallway. It was all black, she said, no features whatsoever. We didn't laugh, and it's a good thing, because six hours later, three of our residents died. Maybe it's a coincidence, but I'm not so sure. Years ago, and this will age me, I worked at the old Peter Bent Brigham Hospital in Boston. we just moved into our brand new tower, and the old hospital was scheduled for demolition. But several co-workers wanted to walk through the old unit one last time. As we walked past what had once been the large men's ward, we saw a couple of figures in what should have been a completely empty ward. One of my co-workers peeked in to investigate and immediately backed out, face as white as a blank order sheet. Of course, I was curious then, so looked in myself. All I saw was two older men sitting on an old bed chatting. 
My coworker explained that was Mike and Jim, or whatever, I've forgotten their names, two of the old ward's frequent flyers. Both were royal pains on the backside when they were alive, which they now were very much not. There had been rumors about staff having seen them, but prior to this, I sure hadn't. It was just about breakfast time, and I was walking past the nurse's station, which was empty, when from behind a chair a figure raised up from about three feet tall to seven feet, almost touching the ceiling. It started coming towards me over the counter, and I hustled out of there fast. When I shared this story with people from the other shift, they admitted having seen it themselves, but in the hall. They claimed it made a kind of mournful moan. We have a gentleman that we call the inspector. Our wings are L-shaped, and he appears at the end of the long hall. He carries a clipboard in his hand, and when he shows up, a resident usually dies in the next couple days. We've also had residents ring us and tell us that there was a man standing next to their roommate's bed and that we should tell him to leave. That roommate usually dies soon after. And then there's the children. Several lucid residents have reported children in the halls at night. While working night shift as a care aide for a woman with terminal cancer, she started to slip. I woke her family, and we all stayed with her, waiting for the end. It was a calm, peaceful scene, and then she looked toward the door. She said, Rex, Rex, you're here for me. I'm ready, and they won't let me go. Then I saw a shadowy figure come into the room, and the whole mood changed. The worst part is her family didn't see it. The lady died later in the day. Now, I'm not a spiritual person, but I was sure happy when it was time for me to go home. A few months later, that lady's husband got sick, and the family called my agency to come stay with him for a few nights until he was feeling better. He wasn't terminal or anything, just ill. I stayed two nights and was witness to all manner of paranormal stuff. Voices from empty rooms, the sound of people moving around when everyone was asleep, and so on. I decided I didn't care how sick he was or how much that family liked me. I was not doing another shift there. Yep, don't blame her. Years ago, I worked nights on a long-term care unit. We always knew when to expect a death because the nurse call system would go haywire. It would start beeping, not even a real ring, more like half bleeps. None of the rooms would light up. It would just make the sound. Text checked the system several times and assured us it was fine. But if we made rounds immediately after the machine freaked out, we'd find someone dead. Also, on a couple of occasions, a co-worker and myself saw a dark figure moving across the parking lot, almost like he was floating. On both occasions, he got about halfway across the lot, and then he would vanish. After I left there, I went to work in a rehab unit located in what used to be a Catholic hospital. We were basically the only unit there, with a couple of outpatient clinics downstairs. We would often hear crying, laughing, footsteps, and so on, even on holidays, when the outpatient clinics were closed. All of this is a wonderful primer on why Brent didn't go into healthcare. <laughs> I mean, I have no stomach for it. I can't stand people who are needy. And this would terrify the hell out of me. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, so this one's called On the March. When I was a student working on a male ward one night with a friend who was also a second-year student, the auxiliary and staff nurse both left the ward together for their break, leaving us two in charge. Suddenly, a man in one of the beds sat bolt upright and said, Who were all those soldiers? A guy in the opposite bed awoke and commented that he could not see their feet. My friend and I tried to calm them down, telling them it was probably the side effects of their tablets. When the staff returned, we told them the patients had seen something on the yard, on the ward, but did not say what. The auxiliary then went pale and said, It must be their anniversary again. 
She told us the hospital used to be a military hospital during the war, but the floor was 12 inches lower. And every year a troop of ghost soldiers walked down the ward with their feet on the original floor, so you never see their boots. Now this reminds me a little bit, um, we had a, a story from a listener who experienced something while he was a cadet in basic training. Mm -hmm. And it, a little bit like this. Yeah. In that it, it seemed to be a regular occurrence. Yeah. But it was only visible at certain times. Right. And, and I kind of wondered if there was sort of a... <sighs> I mean, I, I sort of phrase the way I phrased it to him is I wonder if these kinds of things are uh, more than ghosts, if there's some kind of breakdown right, or, or some kind of uh, glitch in the way time works. Yeah. You I know? saw what you wrote. I, I agree. Um, my other thought was something may have connected with him right, and a few other people who had been there. Cause I, I believe in the story, he talks about how a few other people had yes. claimed to see it as well. Um, because sadly people do die during basic training. Yep. I, I know of at least two guys who have passed away during basic. Um, and I just wonder if they want to ensure the safety or the success of these other people. And so they choose them to kind of reveal or prompt or push or right. whatever. Because, yeah, he was seeing um, everyone get ready and then turned out it was actually hours before they yeah. needed to get up. Really interesting. Yeah, it is. Really yeah. interesting. I just wonder if there's something. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering if it's the other thing, if there's some kind of atmospheric condition yeah. that that time of year or that time of day lends itself to these things. Or it's a, it's a historical loop. Yep. Or that. Just coming up. Yeah. Yeah. The walker and the watcher. The first thing you should know is that I work in a New York City hospital as an LPN and I have just about as many ghostly patients as I do live ones. Among the ghostly ones, my favorite two are those I call the walker and the watcher. The walker is a woman who almost every night comes down the hallway pushing or pulling an IV pole. You can't see her if you look straight at her, but if you turn your head to the side and look through the corner of your eye, you can just make her out. Ah, peripheral vision. She appears to be wearing a house coat rather than a hospital gown, and you can hear the squeak of the wheels on her IV stand. Just in front of the nurse's station is a large pillar, and once my ghostly visitor gets that far, she simply disappears behind it. The watcher is a little different. He's a middle-aged, mustachioed gentleman who looks to be Hispanic. He's dressed in a hospital gown, and I usually see him in room two, but only if it's unoccupied. The room is located right next to the nurse's station, and most of the time he just stands by the doorway watching us. Some of my co-workers have seen him and are scared, but I tell them he can't hurt them. One last thing. My friend is a respiratory therapist who works in this hospital, and there's a room her and the other RT would use to rest during their breaks at night. One night, the male RT, Michael, was sitting across the table from her with his head resting on his folded arms, facing the door. The room was dark, and my friend was reading when she noticed a mist forming by the door. Before she could react, the mist formed into the figure of either a nurse or a nun-looking woman in white with a long shawl over her head. The apparition stood inside the room, smiling, and my friend noticed she ended at the waist, with no legs or pelvis visible. My friend was terrified, and in a soft voice she called out to the other RT, who she thought was asleep. Michael? A little louder. Michael? Without lifting his head, he spoke up. I see her too. The ghost faded away after a few moments, and both agreed on what they'd seen. Yet again, th this is career change time. <laughs> the Night Nurse. I once saw a movie called The Night Nurses, or Night Shift Nurses, Night Watch Nurses. It wasn't the kind of movie you'd expect it to be. 
No. I mean, it was a you little bit. You were disappointed. It was a little bit that. <laughs> but, you know, it's on Amazon Prime if you really want to watch gotcha. it. Gotcha. Night Call Nurses, I think it was called. Oh, God. The hospital where I work the night shift is in South Africa. I don't want to be any more specific than that for privacy reasons. My paranormal experiences have all revolved around someone I came to call the night nurse. Years ago, I had a patient whom I thought was playing with his IV, causing me no end of headaches. Eventually, I confronted him after having to open the clamp for what seemed like the hundredth time that night. He got really irate with me and said he had done no such thing, but blamed it on a young nurse in a white dress whom he said had fiddled with it repeatedly. I was confused as while we wear specific uniforms in South Africa, they are not white at this specific hospital. Needless to say, I was really irritated and I think we both ended the conversation feeling exasperated. I didn't think about the young nurse for several weeks until one night in a totally different room with a totally different patient. The call light rang and when I went to answer, the patient said he had a problem with one of my staff. Curious, I asked what? And he said a young nurse in a white uniform was standing quietly in the doorway of the dark bathroom staring at him and it was freaking him out. At this, my hair stood on end, but I reassured him that he must have been dreaming and checked the bathroom just to be sure. There was nothing there, but I will never forget it. Another instance, there was a patient who was terminally ill with cancer in a private room. I was working days, but the night shift people said they hated going into the room because something would blow on the backs of their necks and shadows would move where shadows shouldn't be. The man was a Christian, as was his wife, and his wife said she saw this black presence descend above him and his breathing would become labored. She asked myself and a friend to pray for her, which we gladly did, being Christians ourselves. We anointed and blessed the room and prayed with the family and asked the Lord to seal the room. From that time on, the room was filled with peace and love and the man breathed much easier. People had no more problems going in there. This gentle little man eventually passed away, but it was in a place of peace and love. That's really cool, actually. That is cool. Yeah. yeah. I like that they were able to cleanse the room like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as, as we've said before, you know, if you, if you really believe, mm-hmm. then you can do this. Oh, absolutely. Power of intention, 100%. And the fact that they were doing it for someone else's comfort yeah. is really kind of cool. Yeah. Mr. Black, in the facility where I work, we've had no shortage of strange or paranormal occurrences. I'd like to share a few. Someone once told me the only people who should fear ghosts in aged care are those who abuse patients. And I have to say, even though I was a bit spooked at the thought of someone or some spirit being in a building, which was supposed to be locked and secure, I never felt threatened. If anything, I felt like it was something saying goodbye or some kind of nurse figure checking on patients. The people I worked with were always respectful of the patients before and after they passed. In fact, after they died, we were to wash, dress, and speak to them as if they were alive. When I first saw this, I honestly thought it was weird, but I kind of think now maybe that's why there was so much of a peaceful feeling. When it was my turn to do it, I thought it would be kind of awkward to talk to a deceased person as if they were alive, but it actually came naturally, and there was definitely some kind of presence nearby in those moments. Sometimes people with dementia will come to us with experiences, and I know most of the doctors will write that off as part of the disease, which I understand because it fits, but sometimes more than one person will come to us with the same hallucination. And that changes my opinion somewhat. One such time happened during rounds in the dementia wing. The first lady we attended complained that she was sick of you people waking me up and asking if she was okay. We hadn't woken her up at all prior to this, but we wrote it off to confusion. The next patient was a bed-bound man also with dementia, who was almost always happy to see us because it meant he was going to be repositioned. This time he grumbled and said, I'm sick of you girls. You just came in here asking if I was okay. Two people in a row. That was weird. But he was also presenting with confusion, and we thought he may have heard the woman next door say it, 
and then repeated it to us as though he thought it had happened to him. As silly as it sounds, these things happen. It wasn't until the next patient, who had no confusion or dementia, but was in the ward because it had the only available bed, that we became aware of something unusual was happening. In addition to having clarity, this patient was located at the far end of the ward, and thus had no way of knowing what the other two patients had said. Yet they said to us, Why does that lady in the white dress keep opening my door and asking if I'm okay? I don't know what it was, but in all there were 14 residents who told me some version that night of a lady in a white dress waking them up and asking if they were okay. One night I come on shift about 9 p.m. and was passing the residence dining room on my way to my locker. I was already late for handover, one shift turning the floor over to another, so I was in a hurry when I saw one of the long-time residents, Mr. Black, an elderly man in a wheelchair, sitting in there. It didn't even occur to me that it was late for him to be out. I flashed him a quick smile of acknowledgement, which he returned along with a wave, and then went on my way to handover. Once I got there, I mentioned that someone needed to go back to dining hall and collect Mr. Black, and well, you can probably guess what happened. That's right. Mr. Black had apparently died earlier in the day, quite unexpectedly, as a matter of fact, as he'd been relatively healthy. Before you say this is just my mind placing Mr. Black in a spot where I was used to seeing him, he'd been at the center for a number of years and never once used that large dining hall. He and his wife always ate together in a small dining area in the dementia wing, so of all places and times I'd expect to see him, the main hall at 9pm was not among them. Another thing that only struck me later was his smile. I only saw it briefly, but it was happy and peaceful in a way I had never seen him smile. It really was like he was hanging around to show us that he was happy and saying his goodbyes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And you know, we had a couple of stories like this where they sort of, it seemed like people were hanging around. And, and I was thinking about this because I feel like the skeptical thing to say would be, well, why would you hang around the hospital? Right. But I think about it. And if you suddenly have all the time in the world, why not take your time? Yeah. You know, if you, if you are, yeah, you're free of all the most obvious things that normally require your attention. You don't yeah. need to eat. You don't need to go to the bathroom. You don't have to do shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I figure you got Literally. all the time in the world. Why not, why not take your time and enjoy yourself? And say goodbye to people. Yeah. Yeah. Hang around the hospital. Go look, I don't know, go watch the nurse's shower. Like, oh well, I'm just God. saying, I mean, maybe not that specifically, but I mean, you could, but or maybe oh. you can't, I don't know. Do they shower there? I don't know. Please stop. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'm just thinking. Don't this. even go down that train of thought. Okay. Yeah. But no, I just think that we sort of apply our sense of time. Absolutely. And there really is no sense of time when you're No, that's dead. once you're, yeah. Once yeah. you're outside the stream, there's, yeah. it just is a very different situation. I think. Yeah. I mean, we could be talking out our ass, but. Most of the time we do. This is true. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for Haunted Healthcare. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. We'd like to thank our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain for their work mm. on this episode. And we'd also like to thank Sarah for her work on other parts of the show. So I guess we'll get started with our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank 
all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patron. Actually, we don't have any new patrons this week. However, we do have an honorary patron. We do. And this is because a, a patron is someone who supports the show in some way. Yes. And when I was in LA, Pete and his girlfriend, Connie, who I hope he will soon be calling his wife, just saying, were incredibly kind to Jason and I, not only giving us a place to stay, but also directing us and even taking us out for a meal or two and generally just being the nicest people in the whole wide world. That's pretty incredible. It was amazing. So Pete, to say thank you, we are officially bestowing upon you the title of honorary patron, honorary patron. So thank you very much, Pete. Thank you very, very much. And Connie and Connie. And we hope we see you up here soon. Yes. And I hope I get down there and I get the chance to meet you. He would be so excited. All right. Well, he, he might not say that once he met me. <laughs> uh, very different situation. He did mention twice that if he'd seen that you were going to be hanging out at that In-N-Out Burger or wherever it was you're going to meet. I think oh, yeah, he said it was, Burger, yeah. He would have been there, but it was just too late for him. You know, I picked the single worst spot to meet up with people. Oh, really? I had no idea that In-N-Out Burger was that busy. Uh, they're oh. all busy. Well, but this one, Jesus, I, I think if I tried to hold the table for longer than 10 minutes, they I would have gotten knifed. You, yeah. I know. I know. It was wild. I know. You should have gone to like a Dunkin' or something. Yeah, no, I now I know better. Yeah. I think yeah. next time I'm going to pick a bar. If you'd like to join the ranks of our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash guys. Get access to our monthly bonus episode. That's the water cooler where Ian and I talk about the food we've been eating, t- movies and TV we've been watching, and everything else going on in our lives that we don't have room for in the main show anymore. We also have the monthly Luke Lore episodes, which you get 30 days ahead of the general public. And there's plenty of other cool stuff. There's a live show, postcards, exclusive sticker designed by Canadian artist Wanda Fraser. All available over at patreon.com slash guys. Next up, we've got some listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. As always, we'd like to thank everyone who sent in messages to us. Yeah. We love hearing from you. We, we had do. some uh, we had some really nice messages. Incredibly this, nice. Yeah, which helped balance out some of the other ones. They, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you for those. So we'd like to thank Sierra. Johanna. Brandy. Jen. Kristen. Brent. Victoria. Andrea. Connor. Selena. Teresa. Sarah. Georgina. Andrew. Anne. Teresa. Heather. Jenna. Rebecca. Arwin. Carter. And Josh. And yes, we just love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for your messages. Again, you can reach us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com if you have stories, if you have comments, questions. We love, love hearing from you. Uh, Particularly, I'd like to thank Winter. Did I mention Winter in there? No, I don't think so. No, okay. So Winter is also, uh, she she wrote in, and um, she was very helpful. I, I won't say specifically what I needed to ask her about, but I did have a question that she was able to help me out with. And so Winter, I really appreciate that. Thank you again, everyone who wrote us. We will always try and write back to you. There may come a time when we can't anymore, but for now, we will always try and write at least a couple lines back to you. Uh, Although it will be Ian, because as I've learned, I don't like doing the email. Brennan should not touch the email. No, (laughs) no, no, I shouldn't. But thank you for doing it while I was away. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I, I, I couldn't. Couldn't leave it there for you. I just seemed well, cruel. I, I came back to my work email and I had 122 messages. Good God. To go through and deal with. So uh, once I got rid of the junk, I only have 87 to deal with. Oh, is that all? Yay. Oh, it's nothing. <laughs> Jesus. So I guess thank you everyone who wrote in. And uh, if you have a question, comment or story, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. So do we have anything coming up? I don't think we do. No, I have ghost walks. Yes. And uh, well, we have um, Arwen. 
is coming to town yes, tomorrow. Yes, that's right. Well, or she's by the time in town people now, hear I this, yeah, yeah, I believe so. By the time people hear this, that'll all be over. But <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, so she will be in town, and uh, she's going to do a ghost walk with us. We're going to hang out. Yeah, so it, it may be a mini ghost walk. Yeah, that's it'll fine. Be, yeah, yeah, but it'll be a, a wander around town. So this is uh, the second one out. we've done. This is as many now. We've done as many in the last month as we had in the previous two years. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because we had Sierra. Yeah. And now Arwen. Weird. Yeah, I know, right? Weird. So yeah, if you happen to be in Victoria, you want to go on a ghost walk, you want to grab a coffee, we may be able to work it out. We can't yeah. promise it, yeah. but based on our shifting schedules, you never know. But let us know at ghoststoryguys.com or at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, and we'll try and make it work. Yeah. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else you can. It just helps get some visibility on the show and yeah. uh, helps attract more eyes. Absolutely. Thanks again to our musical guest, Montesquieu, for his song, Darkstone. You can find him online at montesquieu.bandcamp.com or via the link in our show notes. And the song and his other tracks, which are pretty great, I played one of them on my radio show a couple weeks ago, are available on all the major streaming services. One thing Pete was really appreciative of was the super cool Ghost Story Guys t-shirt that you ordered for him so I could take it to LA. Yes. So if you're looking for a super cool Ghost Story Guys t-shirt, <laughs> we can help you out. Yes, head on over to ghoststoryguys.com to find links to our Threadless and Redbubble stores. We've got lots of great designs. And if you do buy something, make sure to let us know and we will ship you a couple stickers. Absolutely. As a thank you. Just forward us a uh, screen grab from your, your confirmation page and we'll make sure to send those out to you. Thanks, as always, to Peter of Pizzanta Music for our theme song. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. And I guess that's going to do it. I think so. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then... Into the darkness we go.
And then I'm like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> I'm buying four deodorant for $30. Really? What's wrong with you? But it was all organic and custom made. Oh, well, all right then. Jesus. <laughs> I know. I don't usually do shit like that. Because <laughs> of bullshit. No, I'm oh, Jesus. Right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, I don't think any of those people are patrons. <laughs> Motor Ghostin. <laughs> Brent wins. Fatality. I hope you're not going to put that no, in no, 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 no. But I do think that was pretty amazing, that actually. That worked out nicely. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.